If you did not bring a Bible, just put your hand up and we'll bring one around to you. If you do have your Bible, then turn uh, to 1 Timothy. We'll pick up in chapter 1 where we left off. And I'll tell you what, also let's mark uh, Galatians 3. Just a bit before uh, 1 Timothy. If you don't know where these books are, 1 Timothy and Galatians, that's not Galoshes, it's Galatians. Uh, it's a, a city, not footwear for rainy days. Your table of contents will point you to the right direction, the right, right page number in your particular personal Bible or the one that you've been handed. While you are turning pages, 1 Timothy 1, Galatians 3, uh, let us also turn off cell phones or any other electronic devices so that we are not interrupted while we study together and hear from God because we have precious little time during the week uh, where it's quiet and focused on the Lord. Maybe some of you have more than others. Maybe some of you, this is all you get during the week. This is the meal that sustains you till next weekend. And uh, so it's very important time. All right, let's pray and we'll get into our study for today. Father, um, here we are again, sitting at your feet, just like uh, we've been Martha's all week, running around busy, serving, uh, caring, family, school, work, homework, all of the things that, that go on in our lives, Lord. And, and, but here we are. You've got us just pinned down, dedicated to you for this next uh, period of time, Lord. And I pray that, that, that this would not just be true of our physical bodies. But Lord, I pray that right now you would draw our minds to you. That you would begin to just wash away the things we came in worried about, the things we came in burdened by, the things that have been the focus of all of our minds' attention, Lord. And I pray that you would just redirect us to focus on things above and not on things of the earth. Lord, we have so many earthly cares that just drag us down. They're like weeds and they they just choke out your word. Father, we want to love you not just with um, our words, Lord, but with our deeds, with our actions, with our minds and our hearts. And I pray that you'd continue to grow a mature congregation here, Lord. I pray that you'd continue to grow a mature church across the state, Lord, across the county, across the world. As we give ourselves to your word, to faith, to trusting you. Lord, Line upon line, precept upon precept, we're getting to know you better, and we love it. Open our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Timothy, we are in chapter 1. We started last week, I gave a lengthy introduction. All of these messages from Sunday mornings are on the website, so um, if you want to catch up with where we've been, you can go to the website and see what you missed the previous weeks and kind of catch up with us. But I know that some are here for the first time, uh, as is often the case on Sunday. So First uh, Timothy is one of three epistles or letters, personal letters that we'll be studying. A letter not written to a city, as many of them are, the Galatians or the Ephesians or, uh, or uh, Colossians. Those are cities. This letter is written to a person named Timothy, a young man, we would call him an interim pastor. He's not going to be the um, ongoing leadership in this church where he is in, happens to be in the city of Ephesus. He's meant to go there and to help get things straightened out. 
And our title for 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus has been, If It's Broken, Fix It. Based on the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But what if it is broken? You can't just ignore something that's broken. Or we can try, you know, we just don't want to deal with it. You know, in our day and age, we don't fix much stuff. We're just a throwaway society. You know, if it's not working, we just throw it away. And it's cheaper to get a new one. Did you know? I mean, you know that. It's cheaper sometimes to get just buy a new one. We had a TV that was broken. And we tried to see about getting it repaired. And the guy laughed at us. Like, what do you mean getting it repaired? You know, it's going to cost us $300 to repair it. You can get a brand new one for that, you know, or whatever cost it was. And so we're just used to tossing to the side things that are broken. But we cannot do that with the church. The church is the church. And speaking of, just look real quick. This has been our thesis for 1 Timothy. Look over at chapter 3, verse 15. This is why Paul wrote. He wants to come to them. Uh, But he said, if I'm delayed, verse 15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So this is why Paul wrote, so that we, his people, would know how to live together in the house, the house of God or the, uh, the household of faith, the family of God, is we have to know how to conduct ourselves Because we are the church. We're the pillar and the ground of the truth. If the world doesn't see truth and what truth looks like when it's lived from the church, then then where does the world get truth? Then where how will the world know truth if not seen in the eyes and the face and the hands and the feet and the lives of the church? And so there were some problems with that. And the first place, see, I'm not concerned uh, about big, about size. I'm concerned about health. I'm not concerned about having a big family. I'm concerned about having a healthy family. And to have a healthy family, sometimes you've got to fight to do that. You, sometimes you have to deal with issues that come up in your family. Right? You can't just ignore it or pretend it's not, gonna, it's not there. Or just let it, you know. If you have a broken bone, you, you go get it fixed. Otherwise, it sets wrong. And you get set into wrong patterns and, and wrong ways. So you've got to deal with issues as they come up. So Timothy, this young interim pastor, is given a very difficult job in my esteem. He's sent to go and deal with, first thing, if you want a healthy church, you have to have good, sound teaching. Good. You can't, otherwise, you can't have a healthy church. Because good food in is good health out. Bad food in is bad health out. Right? It's a simple equation. Garbage in, garbage out, right? We know that to be true. So, and I'm not talking about good, and this is not, Paul is not talking about good in terms of um, the style or the uh, quality of the presentation. Those things are all fine and well. It's just icing on the cake. If, If the truth is presented in a way that's really, really well done, that's wonderful, and certainly we want to do that, and I want to do that. But you can have the best presentation in the world funny, video presentation, all of that stuff. But if what's being taught, if the content is wrong, then it really doesn't matter how well it was presented, does it? And so this is what Paul is writing to young Timothy about. There are some content issues in the teaching. And teaching has always been an important part of our time together. From the time the church was born, the apostles gave themselves, or the, uh, the disciples gave themselves to the teaching of the word. And so, and we still do that. 
Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. Paul tells Timothy, some having strayed, turned aside to idle talk. The first thing, the first problem is people tend to stray. They, well, I know we've been studying the Bible and we've been doing this for like eight years and it's getting kind of dry, kind of boring. We need to liven things up. We need some good, some good stories or some other things to bring in here. And so it's easy to stray from the basics and try to, to find something that's more exciting because we, people want excitement. So we got to have more exciting things and more exciting stories. They're bored with the word, pastor. We can't just have, you know, Bible teaching. And that's when you begin to turn away toward things that are more exciting or, or you know, they're, oh, they're fresh and they're new. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Remember that. So they, they, they're these teachers that have come up in, in Ephesus and Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to get in there and you've got to create conflict. <laughs> You've got to cause, you've, you've got to confront this issue. And so one of the issues was these teachers were bringing people, God's people, back under the law. Trying to tell them that the law would make good people better. That's what the law will do. And so you've got to have Christ and you've got to keep all these rules and rituals that we have established. Now Paul deals with that in verse 8. But we know, Paul writes... That the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, don't misunderstand. The law is always good. It's not that the law is ever bad. The law is always good. It's perfect. It's right. It's, a, it's the uh, example of, of what God's love looks like, how God's love is lived out. The law is always good. It's always right. But someone can take something that's good and, and can be used for the right thing and use it for the wrong thing. A hammer can be a very good tool, right? It can build a house for someone who needs a home. Or it can be used to smash a window, break in, and steal someone's stuff. So it's just a tool. And the law can be used in a wrong and improper way. And many of you have been subject to that. The law is good if one uses it for the purpose that it was intended to be used. And we'll see what that purpose is. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, and for sinners, and for the unholy, and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. (sighs) And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul loves his run-on sentences. Boy, oh boy. So what did he just say? Because I'm just as lost as you if I just read that as a big thing. So he says, look, the law is not made for people that are doing what's right. You know, I I had to pick my daughter and and our student from Taiwan were at a dance last night. And so I had to pick them up late at night in in the parking lot. We arranged a meeting place. And so there I am in in my little car, and I was there a little bit early, so I had the lights off. I'm just sitting there waiting over by the dogwood, and, so the, and now the lake police is coming and doing their uh, rounds and doing their security checks, and he comes over and, of course, shines a light right on me. You know what? I wasn't worried at all. didn't bother me at all that he was there because I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was within 
you know, I, I, was, I, was being, I was doing what's right. I was just waiting. And so I rolled down the window, and he asked me what, why I was sitting there alone. I explained to him. I wasn't nervous, wasn't scared, uh, didn't have anything to worry about. Because he's representative of the law, and he's not there for me. He's there for the guy that's got the hammer that's breaking in, trying to steal stuff from the various businesses. So he just, oh, okay, and off he went. But now if I was there and I was up to no good, if I was looking to steal something or looking to uh, steal someone, uh, then I would have had issue with the law. See, the law, if you're speeding, going down the highway, and then you see the police officer, you know, that instinct happens where you just automatically, even if you're not speeding, you just see the police car, and, and immediately the foot goes to the brake, and then you look to see, oh, was I speeding, was I not speeding? The law has two big purposes, and we've marked Galatians 3, so let's just turn over to Galatians 3 for just a second. Because people, this is God's government. This, God has these moral laws because people are, have proven over the course of history that they are unable to govern themselves. Is that true or not true? That's true. We can't govern themselves. Thomas Paine wrote that in Common Sense. The purpose of government is because people can't govern themselves. So that's a whole nother issue. You're meant to be governed by God. You're meant to be governed by God. So this is what Paul writes in Galatians 3. Look at verse 21. Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 19. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? So if the law is not for righteous people, what's it for? It was added because of transgressions. The law was given because people didn't know how to live right. They kept crossing the line with God. So God brought the law in to show them, well, number one, to reveal when they sin. Because, see, we meet good people all the time. And the law, when, when I'm driving down the highway, if there's no speed limit sign, then I have uh, nothing to restrain my speed. I'll go, if there's no law, man, I'm going fast. How many times would you have gone a lot faster than you were going if there had not been a speed limit sign on the highway? How many times do you go a lot faster than that speed limit sign, even though it's there? But it restrains you at least a little bit. You know, if, if it says 70, that means like 75, maybe 76, you know, I can go a little bit faster, but I can't do really 90 because that's like too far. You know, that's a little over the top. So there's a restraining aspect to the law. So for those people that feel like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, good is a relative term, right? It's, it's a comparative. It's so good compared to who? You see, we find someone who's worse than us. So we compare ourselves to them so we can say, well, we're good people. I'm not like that person. But I don't, I've never met a person that compares themselves to Mother Teresa. I've, not, I've met a lot of good people. I say, well, compared to who? Compared to Mother Teresa? Well, no, she was really good. You know, I'm, not, I'm no mother. Like, I'm no Mother Teresa, but, you know, I'm also not this or not that. But really, the comparison, if you want to compare yourself, you want to figure out if you're really a good person, you compare yourself to Christ who kept the law perfectly. The problem with the law, and this is why it's not meant for a righteous person, is the law is not meant to help you to prove your own goodness because you can't keep it. It has the opposite effect. The law, the more you try to keep it, the more it reveals that you can't. You can't do it perfectly. Unless there's some perfect people in here, which I, I, I know most of you, and I feel pretty safe saying that there's no perfect people in here. Because I don't see one in the mirror when I look in the mirror either. So uh, why was the, what, what is the purpose of the law? Number one, you know, it reveals 
our sin. It shows us when we break it. But it was also added because of transgressions. Look down farther. Um, Let's look at verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scriptures confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law shows us that there is none that's righteous in and of themselves, no, not one. But before, now this is verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. So uh, therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So here's the way it works. When you have children, they don't know right from wrong. As parents, we sort of guard them. We tell them, this is right, that is wrong. And this young men, young women, young girls and boys in, in the Greek or uh, Roman society uh, would have this uh, tutor, this guardian that would stay with them all the time and, and help them to um, know what is right and what is wrong. And so Paul says the law sort of has that role in our lives to keep us, to restrain us. Unless, Paul said, unless the law had said, don't covet, I wouldn't have known that, that covetousness was an issue. Because it doesn't exist in our sinful human hearts. We just don't know. I mean, I, had, I was amazingly callous before I was a Christian. The things that I, I did and had no conscience about, no conscience about. And these weren't necessarily illegal things according to our law, but they were morally wrong. And then when I found out that, that God had commandments and things he said were right and wrong, I thought, oh, I was undone. Oh, I do that and that and that and that. And we see people, you know, we do a lot of benevolence at our church and we get people to come in and we talk to them about the Lord and they say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And we start to go through the commandments. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, I'm not, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And see, this is why Paul says the law then is a a tutor, it's a guardian. So the laws would guard, but only till a time. Only till faith, till the kids grow up and they can make their own decisions. And hopefully, well-instructed decisions. So the law is there in in the biblical sense until faith comes, till the Spirit of God comes into my life. And now I, I believe God, I trust God, I'm married to Christ. I don't need the law anymore. It, it, I have Christ. I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me. And now I operate by love. And if a person lives by love, they automatically do everything that's in the law. They, they don't, the, the law is not an issue. I automatically have inside me an internal mechanism, the Spirit of God, for convicting me of sin. For telling me when I'm right or wrong or in or out of the will of God. And so the law, you know, I'm, I'm married to Christ. And I, th- those things don't, don't, uh, um, are, are issues for me anymore. I follow Christ. So back to uh, Timothy. And he elaborates on what the law is for. And who the law is for. And he makes a, a list. I didn't count how many of these things there are. But it's not for a righteous person, but it's for the lawless. Those that live without any law. 
uh, those that think, well, I'm going to do what I feel is right for me. I'm going to do whatever I think is right. Uh, no law, no, no external a set of moral standards. And, and the insubordinate, the insubordinate or unruly, a person who um, just doesn't recognize any authority in their life. No, no external authority. It's not, speaking of like a person who was in the military, you know, and, and would be accused of insubordination, just not, um, follow, not falling into rank. For the ungodly and for sinners, those that are, have no reverence for God, those that are devoted to a lifestyle of sin, uh, for the unholy and profane, uh, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Thank God for our little Fluvanna County, you know, where, I don't know what kind of city they were living in, where there was murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Uh, it happens. Uh, can, it literally means a strike, strike, uh, striker of mother, striker of fathers. It doesn't necessarily mean murderer, but it can just be someone who strikes or hits. Now, that would be a more... A common thing, I think. And the youth were just talking about the, the commandment that says, children, honor your father and your mother. So these are things that are opposed to the heart of God, opposed um, to the will of God. And so since a person has no self-restraint, this law comes and shows them, hey, these things are wrong. Murders of fathers, murders of mothers, uh, or for manslayers, again, people that take another person's life. For fornicators, which is the word in Greek, uh, the pornos, which is where we get pornography, uh, prostitution, any sexual activity that's outside of uh, the marital relationship. That's where it's l- the lawfully, where, where uh, sexual relationships occur in the eyes of God is within a marriage relationship. And anything other than that, uh, pornography, prostitution, adultery, all of those things um, are connected to fornication and then for sodomites and some of your bibles depending on what translation you have may say other things um uh, some may say homosexuals and and that's what it means and a lot of people say well you know we don't see anything about homosexuality in the new testament well yes we do and it's right here uh romans chapter one as well and literally in greek it's made of two words the first word is men or man the second word is bed so for those that want to argue about, you know, well, it, it really means this, it's man and bed. You know, like a two-year-old, man, bed. It's someone who, it's men who lie with another man in the bed as if with a woman. So homosexuality. Um, now, I didn't write this, okay, just so we know. I'm not, you know, this is what Paul is saying. These things are not part of the will of God. But don't get focused on that. Look what comes next. Kidnappers, those that are dealing in the slave trade that take a person to sell them. The sex slave trade still uh, is, is rampant in many parts of the world, including America. And for liars, those that, uh, that, that just don't tell the truth. We know, you know, now I don't think you want to undermine that one. You know, we say, well, you know, homosexuality, you know, I was born that way. Well, I could say I was born a liar. You know, I was born to lie. You know, lying has a great advantages uh, in some ways. For a little bit, but it kills your conscience. Boy, does it kill your conscience. So liars for perjurers, those that break oaths. These are all things, and, and this is not an exhaustive list, but you know, there's homosexuality and pornography all grouped right in there with lying and, and bearing false witness. You know, telling something, saying something is true when you know that it's false. 
lying about it. All of these things grouped together. And then Paul, just in case he missed something, he says, and if there is any other thing that is contrary or opposed to sound doctrine. See, these things are all opposed to healthy teaching. And that word sound literally means healthy. Healthy instruction leads people away from these things, not into them. Legalism allows people to go through an external ritual without ever touching the heart. As long as I go through these motions, then somehow I'm right with God. But my heart has never been touched and my life will be hypocritical. I'll have other things in my life. I'm living as a liar over here in my business. But yet, I go to church, I bring my Bible, and so, therefore, I'm a good person. And Paul says that good teaching will lead to good behavior, will lead to um, proper living. That If there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. And again, that's why I say I want, what I want to see, what God wants to see, is a healthy congregation. And that comes from healthy instruction. And that's according to, verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul says, wow, God trusted me to make sure that I shared with people the glorious gospel. And the gospel, if you've been saved by it, the good news of Jesus Christ, you know it is glorious. Because all of these things that were just listed, you know, I was, I'm in that list. I'm not going to tell you where. My college buddies will tell you. But I'm in that list. And none of the stuff that I thought was good at the time. You know, I look back on my life and I think, well, you know, those things were terrible at the time. They seemed fun. But they did not lead me to a healthy place. They did not lead me closer to God. They led me toward destruction. And God rescued me from that by his gospel. He offered me freedom from sin. Not freedom to sin. Freedom from sin. That's what I want. That's what you want. Because sin leads us down a destructive path. So Paul now, verse 12, moves on to talk about this gospel that was committed to his trust. And he just begins to um, sort of think about his own Life and his own testimony, verse 12 says, And I thank, Je- I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Timothy, who has enabled me or empowered me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Meant to be very encouraging to Timothy. You know, Timothy uh, does not have a doctorate in theology. Timothy doesn't have a master's in theology. Timothy's never been to seminary. And I'm not saying seminary is a bad thing. But Timothy walked with Paul. He watched Paul's manner of life. He was a student of his. And because of that, he knew what was right and wrong. He learned it from Paul. And he learned it from the Scriptures. And he's the one that that now he's feeling, you know, sort of, I don't know if I can do this. He's a young guy. He's facing these teachers that are tough, that are challenging him. And Paul is giving this, this wonderful encouragement. Look, Timothy, it was God who enabled me. I didn't enable myself. I wasn't enabled by certificates I received, by going to the right seminars and church growth things and all. That wasn't it. Jesus Christ, our Lord, enabled me. And if anybody can, can say anything other than that, you want to be careful. The, the school might have enabled you, 
or sent you. Or the church might have enabled you or sent you. But none of that is any good unless first Christ Jesus has enabled you, empowered you, and sent you. Don't try to do it in your own power, please. It, it will just make a mess of things. Paul says that Christ enabled me because he counted me faithful. And I, I imagine he can't believe it. I, I can't imagine why God would trust me with this, which is more amazing. It'd be one thing if Paul had this wonderful testimony that he'd been saved, you know, born saved. And he'd come out just in this Christian family and just walking closely with God all along. And then no wonder God trusted him with the gospel. But look what he says about himself. He says, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, into service. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. This is, Paul says, I look back, the things I thought that I was doing at the time, I thought they were right. But now looking back, having been saved and looking back on my life, I realize I was a blasphemer. I spoke wickedly about people. And I was a persecutor. I hunted people down. I hunted people that were following Christ down. Paul, uh, women, men, he was a tough guy. People feared this guy. If he came in uh, to your area, the children hid because he would bust families apart, carry people off to jail just for not uh, following God in the way he thought they should follow God. And he was, he was tough. He had a reputation. He says, I was an insolent man. Do you know what that means? That means, Paul said, I enjoyed causing harm to other people. I enjoyed. I, I caused people to suffer, and I enjoyed it. And I just get this sense that had Paul not known Christ, you know... It, He could have been very ashamed and probably was to an extent ashamed of what he'd been, of what he'd done. And maybe some of you this morning look back at your life, uh, even as a Christian, and go, man, I'm so ashamed of what I've done. And that's very common. That should be. You know, I look back on the things I did as as an unsaved, unredeemed person, and, and I am ashamed of the things I've done. And so Paul has this testimony. You know, I was an insolent man. And he said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. I didn't know any better. I didn't understand what I was doing. You know, Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and many of you, maybe today, right now, you're sitting here thinking you got all your ducks in a row. And you're living some ways that, that are because you don't know any better. You think what you're doing is right, and I pray that as you hear the Word of God, you begin to come under that conviction and go, wow, what I'm doing is really not right. Man, that rocked my world. I remember when I was just, when I just got saved, and everything changed, like everything changed. And I began to look at my life and go, wow, those are things that aren't right to do. And you would think I would have known better. But for some reason, because of the world we live in, our conscience can get really seared, can it? And it's so hard sometimes to tell because it's so common in the world that this is wrong. Because it seems right, because everybody's doing it. But just because everybody's doing it, truth isn't based on majority, is it? But this is, this is a fantastic passage. Watch this. I did it ignorantly and in unbelief, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, just overflowed. And as it, the grace of God overflowed, uh, it came with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Fantastic. This was his testimony. 
Now, verse 15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of every one of us to accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Church, it is not a good thing if we say and we know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and those sinners get saved and then they come to church and we condemn them. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, look, he doesn't say I was the chief. He says, I am the chief. And I was going to argue with him about that. I think I am the chief. And I know there's some others of you that say, no, no, I'm the chief. I'm the first. I'm the the greatest sinner. Paul says, I I was. um, He stood there. Paul stood and was encouraging when Stephen was stoned to death. He casted his vote. Yeah, kill him. And Paul would look back and say, I can't believe I did that. He says, of all the people, of anybody in here this morning, there's nothing that you have done that is beyond the grace of God. As a matter of fact, and this is no reason to be wicked and evil and unholy and ungodly and all those things, but this is what's fascinating. The, the, the farther God can reach down to get a person who is down, it just glorifies him all the more when we see the extent of the grace that he has. If it weren't for, you know, there's a lot of people that speculate why God, you know, put the tree in the garden and told him, don't eat that thing, and why, you know, he allowed Satan to be there. And I don't have, you know, a, a nicely packaged theological answer to this, but I know that, I know that God is love, right? We know that, we can agree on that. God is love, right? And that love of God is an uncompromising, sacrificial, unconditional love. It is awesome. It is the most awesome love that exists on the face of heaven or, or, or the earth. I mean, it's, it's, it's unmatched anywhere in the world. And this is, this is what we're called to, this agape love of God, unconditional, sacrificial, that, that loves in the face of being spit on, that loves in the face of, of being harmed or being cursed at or being uh, deserted. That loves even when it's not loved. This is the love of God. That even though people turn their backs on him, he still loves them. And in the garden, when, when that sin entered the world, it's one thing if, if we were all wonderful, loving, uh, and lovely people. We, if, we, if we were easy to love, we would know that God was love, but we would only know that to a, a certain extent. We would never know the depth of God's love until we challenged it by the depth of our sin. And it's only in the depth of the sinfulness of mankind that we truly see highlighted against that black background, the diamond of God's great love. You know, I can tell you I love my wife, and I do. But my love for her has only ever been tested to a certain degree because she's very lovable. I have a very lovable wife. But now if she were to commit adultery or to do something to greatly hurt me, and I still loved her, it would show my love to a greater and greater degree. Do you see what I'm saying? Someone goes, well, how can you still love her? You know, how can you still, you know, and I, maybe I shouldn't use personal examples here. You know, it's a little, it's not true. You know, okay, don't, don't get me wrong here. That's not happened. Um, just trying to use a, an example, pick anybody, any husband, a husband and wife situation or, or children that, that um, 
hurt their parents, for that, for that love to endure. And so this is what Paul says. This is the kind of guy I was, but God's grace. And this is what you have to know this morning. That so many people feel undeserving. And you are. And so many people feel like uh, unwanted. And you aren't. God desires to know you. He does know you. He desires you to know Him. God desires to rescue you no matter how deep you are, no matter what you're involved in today, no matter where you are, you can come to the throne of God and receive mercy. Just as the Apostle Paul did. doesn't matter if you've murdered or if you've lied, if you've perjured, any of those things. Now, and how do I know this is true? Maybe that's just the Apostle Paul. Maybe God's got a special thing for Paul and This is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, verse 16 says, for this reason I obtained mercy. Why why was it that Paul was um, uh, saved by God? What what was God doing? He says, I obtained mercy that in me first, it's the same word as chief, that in me the chief, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, here's why God saved me. That if God can save me, he can save you. No matter what you've done. I'm proof. And he says it's a pattern. And you can circle and write next to that outline or sketch or summary. Outline, sketch, or summary. See, the details may be different in your life. Paul had the Damascus Road experience, you know, and... uh, that whole thing. And maybe some of you haven't had a Damascus Road experience. You've had some other experience. The details are going to be different in each person's salvation story. For me, parking lot in Charlottesville. For some of you, Billy Graham crusade. Others, you know, is as a child in, in your family. Whatever your, your, the details are. Uh, but the summary, the outline is the same. Here's what I was. But Christ had mercy on me. And his grace overflowed with love and faith into my life. That's the pattern. That's the testimony. And, that in, and Paul says, in me, I'm a trophy. I'm an example for everybody else that says, you know what, I've done too much. I'm too wicked. I'm too far. Paul says, no, you're not. Because I wasn't. And what a changed life the Apostle Paul had, those of you that know his story. What a changed life he had. And, and this, as he's even writing these things, He begins to worship. Verse 17 says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's no conjunctions in that passage. It's meant to quickly take us through to God and His to whom be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And verse 18 says, This charge about confronting the false teaching, confronting the deviant teaching, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So as he concludes this uh, first section, the first chapter, uh, kind of the, the introduction and the giving of the charge to this young interim pastor. He says, Timothy, this is what I'm asking you to do. As, as you're, as you're um, 
superior and as your father. He says to, to, to my son, to you, son Timothy, as your father in, in the Lord. Not, not his biological father, but his father in the Lord. He says, I'm giving you this charge. I'm giving you this commandment. I'm giving you this duty to do. And there's sometimes where we, you know, I tell my son, especially, you know, because I'm trying to raise him to be a good man of God. And I say, you know, there's sometimes um, where we do what's right just because it's right. Just because it's our duty. Not because we feel good about it or not because we like to do it. We do it because it's the right thing to do. It's our duty. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, Timothy, you may not feel like staying there. You may not feel like confronting this teaching. You may not feel like these things. But I'm saying, Timothy, this is your duty. Not only is it your duty that I'm giving you, but there were others that spoke about this in your life. We had that prayer meeting, Timothy. Remember we had that prayer meeting and, and the guys in the church, we, we, we were praying for you and the Lord spoke about what he was going to use you to do. Don't forget that. You ever had a time where you really felt the Lord spoke to you or someone said something to you and you go, wow, that's from the Lord. It's just like sometimes you hear someone says something to you and you go, well, you know, maybe, I don't know. But then there's other times where someone says something to you at a prayer meeting or just in a conversation and you go, wow, I just, like something in your heart goes, ooh, that's from the Lord. And, and you, that's important. If you're going to endure in following the Lord, if you're going to endure in, in serving him in whatever area it is that you serve, whether it's, you know, here or there or anywhere, mission field uh, across the world or mission field in the nursery or Mission Field, the nursing home, or wherever it is that you go, or cooking meals for Columbia, uh, wherever. You've got to know that it's God calling you there. Otherwise, it's easy to cut and run, isn't it? It's easy to go, well, I don't feel like this anymore. Wait a second. Paul says, this is, Timothy, this is your duty. It was spoken about. There were prophecies made concerning you that by those things, that those things should uh, ho- help you to hold your ground that you can, so you can wage the good warfare. We don't always, always think of the word warfare with church, or maybe we do. Maybe that's a problem. We do think of warfare when it comes to church. The good, what's the good warfare that Paul is calling Timothy to fight? For good teaching. Fight against false doctrine. Timothy, you've got to fight for good teaching. You've got to fight for solid teaching. And to this day, it is still true. Uh, the, the course of this world, the flow, if you just um, float, whether it's in the world or wherever you are, if you just float, the current will carry you downstream, right? And even a dead fish can go downstream. But to hold on, because everything, in, look, we have an adversary, the devil, and he prowls like a roaring lion. And the whole world, John says, lies under the sway of the wicked one. And everything in this world is opposed to truth. And so if you want to hold on to truth in your family, if you want to hold on to truth in your life, if we want to hold on to truth in the church, and it doesn't seem like we should have to do that, but it is, it's true, and we're going to hold on to truth, we're going to have to fight to do it. Because the government is going to try to take it. And, and people that have other viewpoints are going to try to take it and steal it and undermine it. Is that true or not true? It's true. So the question is Timothy. The question is for those Timothys and Timothyettes in here. Are you ready to fight for truth in your family? Or are you just going to 
kind of lay there and, and let your family go with the flow. I've just I found this out over, you know, not nearly as many years of walking with the Lord as some of you have, but 18 years of, of walking with the Lord. Man, it is a battle. And so few people anymore are willing to fight it. It's just easier to click on the TV and check out the brain and just because you can't focus on two things at one time. I don't want to think about things that are going on. I don't want to think about the election. I don't want to think about this. So I'm just going to cut on the TV and, and check out. And I'm not saying TV watching is wrong. But what I'm saying, if, if you are going to live by the truth, if, you're going to, if we as a church are going to continue to hold on to the truth, we have to be ready for a battle. And the battle is just getting harder. And so Paul tells Timothy, literally, war the good warfare. And how do we do it? We take our weapons, faith. If you don't believe it, you ain't going to fight for it. If you don't believe it's true, then it can come and go. What do you care? As long as, I, you know, everything in my world is okay. It's much easier to just go with the flow. And it takes faith to stand on the word of God, doesn't it? So faith, that's, our, well, that's one weapon we take with us, having faith and a good conscience. Man, there is. A good conscience is a priceless thing. I, you know, if you live by what you believe, you have a good conscience. If you live by what you believe, and this is what Paul is telling, t- telling Timothy, you're going to fight this fight, you're going to war this war with faith and a good conscience. Timothy, that what you, doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Doesn't matter what these other teachers are doing. Doesn't matter what those other students are doing. Doesn't matter what that other church is doing. God has called me personally as, as an elder of this church and, and the, the guy that gets to sit up here and blah, blah, blah for too long and you guys are going, is it time yet? God has called me to preach the word. And if it's entertaining sometimes, that's just because I'm a goofball. And, and I, don't mind, I don't mind it being, you know, there's sometimes we get to laugh together and all that stuff. But look, God has called me to preach the word, the whole counsel of God's word. And it's so much easier sometimes to do other things because of this reason and that reason. This is what the, is going on in that church over there and that church over there. And I've been fighting this battle even recently. You know, there's all kinds of church growth stuff. And this church is growing and they're growing because they have this and they have that and they have the other things. And I say, let them grow. I just want to have a healthy congregation. And if God chooses to add to our numbers, it's because you guys are living it out. And people are seeing it. And, and, and the Lord is adding to the church daily. And I'm not saying just because the church is big and growing that they're not teaching the truth. Please don't get me wrong. You know, uh, I'm just saying that they're, they're, we, we, we live in challenging days even in the church. And even in our family. So I pray that, that you would have faith and a good conscience. That you would be living what you really believe. Regardless of what others are doing because some have rejected these tools some have rejected these weapons faith and a good conscience they're living by other things um, concerning the faith they've suffered shipwreck and that's what happens when you reject faith and when you reject a good conscience when you begin to do things for other reasons then you get shipwrecked when you lose your way when you don't know how to navigate you suffer shipwrecked and then these two guys in verse 20 and hang with me we're almost through uh, in verse 20 uh, that are forever uh, in, in the eternal word of God as guys that suffered shipwreck, Hymenaeus and Alexander. That's not the way I want my name to be remembered in the Bible. 
We don't know who these guys are specifically. Alexander could be Alexander the coppersmith who was, um, uh, is spoken about in another one of Paul's letters. Could be uh, Alexander from, from the city of Ephesus. Uh, Hymenaeus also mentioned in another place. But what we do know about them, which is even in some ways more confusing, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we know what they did. They were, they were uh, speaking evil. Could these have been some of the teachers that Paul is speaking to Timothy about? Possibly. But Paul says he dealt with it by delivering them to Satan. Now, how did that happen? Was it by uh, sort of having them leave the fellowship for a time? Was it by sort of excommunication? Uh, Like in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, I believe. We don't know. We don't know for sure. It's not really mentioned. But we do know the purpose. What was the purpose? It was learning. They had to learn. And when we talk about having a healthy church, when we talk about really doing and being what God has called us to be, and this is the part nobody wants to talk about, you know, you can't have a healthy family, parents, if you're not willing to discipline. And we can't have a healthy church unless we, uh, on on occasions that arise, uh, enact church discipline. And Paul says, this is what I had to do. Because these guys, because if you've got cancer, if, there are, if there's a part of your body that is undermining the health of the rest of the body, do you just sacrifice your body and let this thing take over? Or do you deal with it? No, you deal with it. Of course you deal with it. And I'm not willing to, we are not willing to let a cancer enter this fellowship and, and just be, for the sake of, you know, adding to the numbers, not willing to deal with, with the issues that arise of, of people that undermine the faith of others. People that undermine good, solid teaching. You, use, uh, use. you that know me, you use all that know me, know that I can't speak English. I take this really seriously. I, I really, really do. Um, and I, I, I plan to continue doing so. Um, not because it's easy, but because, I, again, I think God uh, is most glorified when the church is uh, following his word. And when the church is following his word, the church is healthy. And a healthy church glorifies God because the gospel is good and God is good. And worshiping him leads a person to health. Right? Amen. Are you ready to worship the Lord a little bit before we leave? Let's stand and worship the Lord. Um, And let me just take you back as you're standing, uh, as I offer week after week. Um, It's not about rules. It's not about cut your hair this way and wear this kind of tie and this kind of suit and carry this kind of Bible and and pray this kind of way. It's not about those things. It's about knowing God in in an intimate way. And if, if you think that is not accessible to you, then I hope you heard today that that's not true. That no matter where you've been or what you've done, you can take a stand today and say that if Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. You can say that today. No, no questions asked. And, and you can begin the first day of the rest of your life. Amen? Amen.